Deep left into the bleachers. A two-run homer. A swing and a miss. Ball game. Liftoff. And history marches on. 22 consecutive wins. From the sports desk of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com, this is Leading Off with Ryan Lewis, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. Santana makes the catch. Ball game. The Indians have won the American League pennant. The Cleveland Indians are going to the World Series. Now, Ryan Lewis and Ashley Fastock. Welcome to Leading Off, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. I'm Ashley Bastock, here with our beat writer at the Akron Beacon Journal, Ryan Lewis. And we are recording this on the final day of the All-Star break. Ryan, how has these last, well, technically it ended up being, what, five days for Cleveland with the rain out on last Sunday? Yeah, for the Major League team, um, although the the draft took place, um, Mm -hmm. that that ate up uh, three days. So not as much of a break for teams as what it normally is. Cleveland's president of baseball ops, Chris Antonetti, joked a few weeks ago we were he was talking with reporters and uh, uh, we'd asked about kind of the all-star break and, and the, the fact that the draft was later and kind of during the break, the first night being Sunday night and then the second and third night coming on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, so it, it coincided with uh, the home run derby and the all-star game. Uh, but he was talking with reporters and uh, he mentioned um, that <laughs> – a lot of the guys in the in the front office and in player development had a group rate on a divorce lawyer because this was normally like the one time of the year where they do have a couple of days to kind of reset and take a breath. And it's it's a month. It's normally a month after the draft. And then it's right before the point where things really start to ramp up um, concerning the trade deadline. This year, though, um, the draft took place right in the middle of it. And then um the the deadline is is now here like it's absolutely here uh coming up in in two weeks uh it's it's a july 30th this season so uh you know 15 days from from you know this recording um so there's really no time um so it, it was a, a bit of a different all-star break for for teams especially who had to kind of di- divert some you know some resources and time to the draft at a later point than they normally do so yeah he, he was just joking with reporters about about them having a, a group di- divorce lawyer rate um, because I'm sure some significant others were, were not entirely pleased um, that normally the one break in the year uh, was erased. Well, I've been awake since 7 a.m., which if you have listened to this pod at all, you know that myself and especially Ryan hate getting up early. And it took me a good, like, three seconds to understand that punchline. And once I got it, I mean, folks at home can't see me, but I laughed for a good, like, 30 seconds silently because I'm like, I can't believe it took me that long to get that joke. And that is an amazing joke. Yeah, yeah. He he had the kind of the, the, <laughs> the <laughs> just kind of this grin when he said it, like, it's, I'm sure delivering that message to a lot of significant others that normally count on having a few days in July to at least break up um, the the time commitment that goes with a you know being a, a member of the front office or in player development for a baseball season is is just so severe. It starts so early uh, with spring training. I mean, not not that the off season is actually the time that you have off, um, but it's it, it's a, it's a little more you know spaced out. So to have you know normally the four days. 
um, is, is kind of key for, for, for a lot of, you know, family situations and just being able to spend some time. And that just wasn't really the case. Hopefully front office members and player development guys and, 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 and women around baseball have been able to take, I guess, I guess the last 48 hours, at least after the draft to kind of get some quality time and be able to take a breath, but it's, it's not as much as it normally is. Hopefully, you know, this, you know, this isn't the case moving forward, this schedule. Yeah. Um, and I know I didn't have this on our show notes for this week, but I guess you have to bring it up. Uh, and I know you wrote some stuff about Cleveland's picks in it. I guess, are there any like takeaways you had from, from who they ended up choosing? Uh, I mean, the main takeaway is, you know, they, they took 19 college pitchers with their, with their 21 picks and Cleveland was not the only team that ended up doing something like that. The Angels. Um, used all 20 picks, uh, on pitching and I think 19 of the 20, uh, were, were college pitchers. Um, and, you know, that, that isn't, I, one important thing to understand, I guess, is the, the MLB draft operates completely differently from the NFL draft and the NBA draft, for example. And it's because Major League Baseball draft picks, uh, have just such a, a different, and such a longer developmental path to the highest level. Whereas in the NFL, if a team really needs a wide receiver and the value is there based on best player available, it's, it's easy to kind of take that pick and, and, and plug that player in. In baseball, that's just not how teams can operate. You can't predict that this pitcher will hit the majors at this point and hit the ground running. And that's just not how teams operate. Um, so the fact that, you know, Cleveland took, 19 pitchers out of 21 picks. It has nothing to do with Shane Bieber. It has nothing to do with Aaron Savali and Zach Plesac. It's it, it's a matter of, you know, taking who who is comfortable. Um, you know, for example, you know, Cleveland also has quite the the, the deep depth in the minor leagues with, with middle infield prospects. Um, but that is not necessarily – that never had anything to do with Francisco Lindor, obviously, because those guys aren't in the majors yet. You just can't predict – um, a, a player's de- developmental path over three or four years. Then on top of that, with maybe the exception of the very top of the draft, um, the baseball draft is also a little more volatile in terms of being able to predict, you know, who's going to, to really stand out and, and, and who might not. There, there's a lot more gray area with the entire process. Um, so, you know, w- while that is a takeaway that they took 19 college pitchers, um, you know, what that to a much, much bigger extent uh, that really just has to do with, you know, who uh, the team felt comfortable picking and, and who was available when, when they were up. Because also, you also don't have a lot of time, um, especially toward the end of the draft. Um, it's just such a, a flurry of picks, one after another, uh, that you do not have a lot of time. So it's, you know, there there isn't as much, I guess, wiggle room in that regard. So uh, the takeaway is that, you know, you know, just to remember that the baseball draft operates completely differently, but that uh, Cleveland went really heavy on, on, on college pitching. Uh, they took Gavin Williams out of ECU uh, with their first round pick and it just kind of rolled from there. Um, so uh, it's just a completely different scenario. So I, I think that's just one of the, the important takeaways to remember and that, um, you know, Cleveland went really pitching heavy and, and as you know, that, that does make sense because Cleveland as much as, as pretty much any team in baseball over the last several years has had success de- uh, developing pitchers and actually developing specifically college pitchers. Um, so I imagine, you know, being able, you know, as a franchise to, to get your hands on as many high quality pitching prospects as possible to see how, you know, you, you can further their own development is, is, is a strategy that, you know, I'm sure they're not, 
um, you know, afraid to shy away from. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the thing with that is given their track record, like you said, the recent track record of developing pitchers, it's like, it is important, I think, to remember that, like, some of these guys we're not going to see for years, like, years and years and years from now. But I think that's why, like, overall, um, to, to your larger point there, like, there's so much less analysis, I think, compared to the NFL or NBA draft. And I, I think it's just you, with those two leagues, you get that instant gratification of seeing how these guys are panning out um, in, in their, you know, immediate rookie year just a few months later. Um, and it, it's just a totally different world. But on to the Cleveland baseball team currently. Um, we talked all last week about the nine-game losing streak they were on that literally ended the day we recorded on Thursday. Uh, in fact, Cleveland won three in a row against Kansas City before Sunday's series finale was postponed due to the weather, which we already touched on. Um, so Fran Mil Reyes stopped the losing streak last Thursday with a three-run homer. Uh, walk-off homer, two outs in the ninth inning, and Bobby Bradley got another walk-off, leading off in the top of the or in the ninth inning to give Cleveland a two-to-one win on Friday and Saturday. Things were not as close with a 14-to-six win. Cal Quantrill getting on the mound, the win on the mound there. Um, so overall, just a really, really solid three days going into the break. And I think we we kind of talked about the importance of that. That given all their injuries, the a stretch like this wasn't impossible. Um, it was probably more likely than not to run into a stretch like this, but uh, they really stopped the skid right before this break. And, you know, that, that the importance of that can't be understated, I don't think. Yeah, and Cleveland does have a – they have a, a pretty difficult road ahead of them in terms of getting to the postseason this year. Um, the, it's It was – Borderline remarkable that, you know, this team at one point stood at 42 and 33, considering the injury situation, considering the borderline tire pitching situation that they're in, the fact that that team was nine games uh, over 500, um, you know, almost halfway through the year, only two games out uh, of the American League Central lead. Um, that was a pretty impressive stretch um, to kind of hold things together that long. But once the slide started, it, it, the, this team really slid. Um, it opened up an additional six games in the divisional race, which is a, a, a mile of a difference compared to where they were. But if Cleveland is to climb back into the AL Central race or grab a, a wild card, card spot, potentially, you know, that this recent stretch of, not only Fran Mil Reyes hitting the, the walk-off home run, but Roberto Perez hitting the go-ahead three-run home run um, also late in the game, which that was kind of the first, like, counterpunch that the team had had in about a week and a half was actually Roberto Perez's home run, which then led to, to Fran Mil Reyes's home run, and then Bobby Bradley the next night, and then the offense kind of kept that rolling. Um, it was strange. We went from – we talked about how we kind of joked that they might be trying to do some rain dances here and there to – to be able to either a delay some games to where the rotation may be healthy or just to have some days off. And it turned so quickly that they probably went into Sunday wanting to play that game because the offense was on such a roll. But if Cleveland is able to kind of turn things around, that three game stretch um, could kind of be the seen as the catalyst for a lot of that. In that it was Roberto Perez and Fran, Fran Moreas, two guys um, who run the, injured list for several weeks coming back and kind of providing the punch that the offense hadn't had for quite a while. Bobby Bradley, who started the year in AAA, as we've talked about like 14 times, 
um, because the team wanted to figure out what they had with Jake Bowers uh, coming through. Um, so it's it was a a much needed turnaround going into the break, and then the question now is is any of that momentum able to kind of be carried forward? Which in baseball that's that's tough to do in general because you know as you know something that Terry Francona always says, and I think it holds true, is that momentum in baseball is only up to the next day's opposing pitcher. Um, you know if your offense is on a roll but then you go up against Jacob deGrom, you know, that pro- that's not really going to matter on that day. But Cleveland has, has a pretty difficult and – and a pretty key stretch, not just a difficult stretch, but a key stretch coming out of this break. Uh, you know, we're recording on, on, on Thursday afternoon. They have a three-game series uh, in Oakland, which, at you know, for the time being, Oakland would be – you know, if the season ended today, the A's would have the fifth and final spot in the American League, you know, postseason picture. Uh, as the as the second wild card, so that's a key series. And then Cleveland travels to Houston, uh, and the Astros just pulled off a four game sweep in Cleveland. Um, so that's an, a, another key s- series, and especially especially with the trade deadline 15 days away, the next two series, especially because it, of the you know difficult nature of the stretch, because of where Cleveland stands, it it could go you know a longer way than you know just six games in a 162 game schedule. It could go a little longer than it normally would in, in terms of maybe determining which direction Cleveland goes. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about the uh, the trade deadline a lot next week. And that Cleveland isn't necessarily a team as much as others that might go all the way to one side or the other. You know, they're 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 more about, you know, kind of maintaining some long term value and um, you know maybe some, some smaller things. But, uh, you know, that this is a, a key stretch next week. And, you know, Cleveland ended the All-Star, well, you know, we call it the first half. It's, it's a little more than the first half, but they ended the first half on, on a high note. And now it, the big question is, is how much can that kind of be carried over? And, um, you know, as they try to dig out of this hole that they've, they've dug for themselves in, uh, especially in, in the AL Central, um, as they try to catch up to the White Sox. Yeah, like you said, we'll, we'll save our talk on the, uh, trade deadline here for next week, probably, but, Really quick, I mean, I just want to ask you broadly, going into the second half of your season, what's the what's the most important thing here for them? Oh man, I, I, it's probably still any resemblance of consistency with the starting rotation, uh, and that's because Shane Bieber and, and Aaron Savali are at slightly different points in their rehab, but they're both probably still at least a few weeks away, um, and that's a significant stretch of time uh, considering where, where major baseball is in their season, where Cleveland stands in the playoff race. The next few weeks are, are absolutely keyed to, they're now going to have to make up some ground. I remember a few weeks ago, we, we talked about this and, you know, it wasn't the most important thing that Cleveland actually overtake the White Sox, uh, you know, during this stretch, it was just to remain within striking distance. But now after falling to eight games back and the fact that we're halfway through July, now Cleveland has the task of trying to make up some ground uh, without, without having Bieber or Savali still. Zach Plesak's return is obviously key. Uh, he could be stretched out to roughly 85 pitches for his start on Sunday, but not having Bieber and Savali, you're still having to rely on Tristan McKenzie, who did have an outstanding last outing and, you know, consistency has been kind of the, the issue with him, but, yeah, uh, you know, he has at least offered, uh, you know, some glimpses, some glimpses of what he can do. 
Um, but it, it, it's McKenzie, it's Eli Morgan, it's Kyle Control, it's, it's, it's all these guys who are kind of tasked with having to kind of hold things together for a little bit longer. But now it's actually a little bit more than that. They're actually going to have to, to, to make up some ground likely in the meantime, which is really difficult. But it's all, it's all still with the starting rotation just because of this, you know, borderline absurd injury situation. You know, the, pretty much like the, the absolute worst case scenario, or at least pretty close to it for the starting rotation, which, Got off to a bad start with McKenzie and Logan Allen, who were who were in the opening day rotation. They both got up, got off to really bad starts this season. So even before the injuries, at least the back end of this rotation was already kind of in flux, had some serious question marks, and then the injuries one after another just kind of brought it to to new levels each time. So that's that's still kind of the the, the key situation. The lineup is obviously. You know, a, a, another factor of that and having enough, you know, punch to kind of make up for any issues with the rotation. Um, Eddie Rosario should be nearing his return. Um, so once that happens, the lineup will be pretty close to, you know, as, as close to full health as, as the lineup has been in, in months. Um, which is a, I guess one positive that you could point, you know, toward Cleveland's way. Although with the White Sox, it's a semi similar situation, at least within the next few weeks. Luis Robert could be well. Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez eventually, you know, Luis could get back. Yasmani Grandel could be back in, I think, three to five weeks at this point. So you know, both teams are, are kind of impatiently waiting for some, some key pieces to come back. But for Cleveland, it's it's all it's all still you know kind of kind of rest with the rotation and and how you know these younger pitchers are able to continue to adjust and continue to try to offer some level of consistency. And you mentioned Shane Bieber and Aaron Savali there, but what, what's the latest on their injuries? And I know on Friday in the pregame, Terry Francona mentioned that Shane Bieber was scheduled to throw weighted balls, and that was the first throwing he's done, to my understanding. And I think there was supposed to be an update. Did you guys get an update on that um, as far as where he's at now in that process? Not within the last few days. And, and again, we're recording this on Thursday. I would expect an update uh, Friday afternoon. Um, but yeah, uh, Aaron Savali was, he's been throwing some, some shorter distances and Shane Bieber has been just getting to the point of, you know, kind of starting somewhat of a throwing program or at least getting, getting to that point of, of being able to, to start something like that. Um, but you know, the problem for Cleveland is that, you know, that not only do, do you have to wait for guys to kind of ramp that up, but you then have to, to, to lengthen them out to a full starters workload before they can kind of rejoin the major league roster. So, so those two guys are still weeks away. Um, so it's still quite the task for this rotation. And that's kind of, that's what, you know, Cleveland's season has really come down to is, is this younger starting rotation having to fill in, but Cleveland pulled off several trades over, over the last few years to accomplish a few goals. And, and one goal was to reallocate some resources in, in an effort to extend this contention window. One goal was to turn, um, you know, a guy like Trevor Bauer, who wasn't, wasn't too far from free agency and do some more controllable pieces. And that's, you know, one, one, well, that's the, the reason why, um, you know, Cleveland is able to put a, a friend Moraes in its lineup and along with some other prospects, Kluber was dealt and that, that was turned into Emmanuel Clase. And then, uh, Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco were, of course, traded. And, you know, one thing that did was it, it did allow Cleveland to try to answer some other question marks on the major league roster. It added to their, their prospect pool, uh, kind of restocked their, their farm system to an extent. 
Um, but it does take away some of the established depth uh, with the starting rotation where Cleveland had depth um, with starting pitching, but a lot of it was still just uh, right at the beginning of kind of the, that major league development, you know, cycle and, and, and that point where they're all pitchers who the, the team is high on long term, but in the short term, there, there's still some question marks and some, you know, hiccups to be expected, which is kind of how Terry Francona put it. Um, so that kind of puts some pressure um, you know, on the rotation and then the injury is just, just, just added weight to it. Um, so that, that's kind of still the, the key point of the season and, and kind of the biggest question mark moving forward. Yeah. And before we get into your three up, three down, I did, I forgot to write about this on our, our shared doc for the folks at home behind the scenes. We have a shared Google doc. Um, I think we've brought it up before with everything we want to talk about, but I know, you know, I worked the game on Friday for the Bobby Bradley walk off and I know he, he, you didn't write about him in your three up, three down, but, um, I just think it's so interesting from that after that game that he said he had never hit a walk off home run before at any point in his baseball career that he said he thinks the only walk off hit he ever got was in 2016 in high A ball. He hit a walk off single and he thinks that's the only one and watching him now. And I, I mean, I tweeted something to this effect, like he just is so much fun to watch. Like it, it truly was really kind of a cool thing, I guess, to see a player experience a moment like that for the first time in their career and kind of hear about it from from their perspective. I guess you could say the biggest question mark for Cleveland moving forward is by the end of the season, how many buttons will Bobby Bradley's jersey actually have buttoned right. for a game? Because right. it, it seems like it's getting lower. I know. Like- I love it, though. Like, I love his, like, personal, like, the personality that we get through his style, like, the hair, the jersey. Like, it, 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 I tweeted, again, something to this effect that, like, I feel like there's a lot of money to be made in the Cleveland t-shirt market with Bobby Bradley merchandise. Like, we're getting very close to that point, I think. Yeah, and it does kind of seem like the fewer buttons he buttons, the more success he has. It, yeah. It seems to be a pretty direct correlation uh between that. But yeah, the fact that he had never had a walk-off home run and then maybe only one walk-off hit. Baseball is just a weird, beautiful sport, and those weird, strange things are, are bound to happen eventually, and it's just one of the kind of the products of the game, which is it's it, it, it's just kind of one of the, those enjoyable facets of it that I think some baseball nerds just kind of like, and, and I I say that as one, I'm saying that yeah. it's it's just one of those things that it's it's fun when those things pop up, I guess. Yeah, and also from that game, and again, like, just from having covered it, would be remiss if we don't bring up the base running and the, the double play at third, that double play at third, if you need a refresher, Daniel Johnson gets caught up in a rundown between third and home. He ends up going back to third. Cesar Hernandez was running to third. Um, as the lead runner, DJ was entitled to the base. Um, he came off the bag. He was tagged out, and then Hernandez was tagged out. Um, obviously, Terry Francona, if you watch that game, got tossed for the first time since, I believe, early in the 2019 season. It was definitely the 2019 season, but I think it was in, like, May or something. And I know I messaged you to see if you saw it live, and I had to get you a replay because, obviously, you know, we didn't – we were, like, scrambling on Twitter looking for that. And it, I still am not – fully sure how it happened six days later. Like, and, and I get like Terry Francona after the game talked about, he, he had two arguments. 
that obviously it's the lead runner's base if they're there at the same time, but it looked like, and I mean, I thought I saw it on the replay that they tagged Daniel first. And so once he's out, that Cesar should be okay. Um, and the other argument he made is they weren't on the bag at the same time. So that rule shouldn't have mattered. And obviously it was enough that, that he, he got heated enough that he got tossed in the eighth inning there. But, um, I guess just having, I'm sure you've rewatched it now as well. And I know I sent you the clip with the different angles. I guess just what do you make of that, that mess there that ultimately was meaningless given Bobby Bradley's walk off? Well, I think there are always, there are always arguments that can be made based on the order of who gets there, <laughs> the procedures in place, who was tagged, who was called out first, and then the messaging from the umpire to the manager, and if there are any discrepancies there. So there are, there are so many different variables about what can happen. That play was a mess. It was a mess. But for, it- for Tito to get thrown out, though, um, you know, he'll always – you know, deliver his message. But I think to actually be thrown out, you know, he, that hasn't happened as much as, as, as it used to earlier in his career. Um, so yeah, I, anytime that he gets thrown out, he's, he's certainly going to get his money's worth. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was one of those things as it was happening in real time. I was like, Oh, Oh, he's getting tossed. Like, I mean, you progressively saw from up in the press box four levels up, how heated he was talking to them. And and I know, like, at the time, after the game, it sounded like, you know, he wasn't even sure about challenging it. Like, you know, that, that seemed kind of murky, too. And, I mean, I don't want to say anything definitive because I don't have the quotes in front of me, but it, it was definitely just one of those strange, strange plays there. But um, moving on kind of to your, your three up, three down, uh, not much more to say about that base running. Uh, in – Let's start with Franmil Reyes, because in seven games since being activated off the IL, you wrote he's hit 345 with an OPS of 1.077, three home runs, a double, and nine RBIs. Yeah, and and I think Tito termed it correctly. Um, you know, Tito mentioned it, it's nice to have Franmil back, but it's also nice to have it's nice to uh, not have him back in name only, and that his production has not only maintained where he was before he got hurt, uh, but actually, you know, taking a jump again, also, also a hilariously small sample size. Um, but the point being that, you know, when Fernando Reyes was activated off the injured list, he, his swing was certainly ready to go. Um, and, and what a, you know, key piece, you know, to the lineup that is just sorely needed, you know, at, at any point, uh, but especially right now. Um, so his, his return um, could not have come sooner for, for that lineup. Um, but he's, he's continued to blossom into one of the more dangerous power hitters, at least in the American league, if not baseball, you know, he's, he's done really well to kind of elevate himself and continue to develop, um, to the point that, you know, he, he always jokes about hitting the scoreboard. It's kind of the only thing he hasn't done yet, um, is, is to hit that progressive field scoreboard. Um, but, um, you know, he's, he's continued to, to swing the bat really well. He's continued to become, you know, one of the more important long-term pieces with, for the franchise. Um, you know, he was, you know, he was more so the centerpiece, um, of the, 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 the Trevor Bauer deal, more so than, than Yasiel Puig, who was the bigger name at the time, but Puig was a, a short-term rental and that was pretty clear from day one. But Franmil Reyes was the long-term piece that this team wanted to add to the lineup as a, as a controllable slugger who, you know, they know will be in Cleveland for, for the foreseeable future and who they know they should be able 
to plug into the lineup pretty much on an everyday basis. Um, and, you know, and to take it further in terms of, uh, you know, his impact after coming off the injured list, you know, when he returned, he wasn't yet to the point of being able to play every day. So he's able to return, but kind of on a limited basis. They still needed, needed to be careful with him. You know, we'll see how that progresses, but, you know, he just got, you know, five days off because of the, the rain out on Sunday, as you know, you mentioned. So, you know, it, he could be to the point of playing every day. And, um, you know, I'm sure Tito will love writing his, his name, uh, in the lineup on an, on an everyday basis because he's continued to just kind of terrorize American League pitching for the most part. Um, and, you know, as, as long as he kind of stays, you know, within his, kind of his, you know, the, the right area for him to be in is, is the same kind of swing focus that, that he really kind of refocused himself on last year, which is driving the ball to, to center and right center. As long as he kind of keeps that swing, that kind of focus tends to put his swing in, into just a much better place to where if he needs to, to pull something, he can. Uh, but if he try, if he goes into the at bat trying to pull something, that's when his swing gets into some trouble. That's when he gets into some trouble. Um, so as long as he, he has kind of continued that focus, he's, he's continued to progress and kind of elevate his game. And, um, you know, he and Jose Ramirez, uh, kind of represent a, a pretty large percentage of, you know, Cleveland's entire offense. And they're, you know, th- those two pieces are absolutely crucial. Um, and they'll continue to be going down the stretch. I think the day that Fran Mill Reyes eventually hits the scoreboard, we just need to come on this podcast and be like, sign on, say Fran Mill hit the scoreboard, and then sign off, like, immediately. We've talked yeah. about it so much. And so that's something that Fran Mill and uh, Andre Knott have, have joked about for a while. So when Fran Mill hits the scoreboard, uh, I'm, I'm guessing he's going to, like, pick up Andre Knott after the game or, or just something like that. Oh, yeah. And I think, I think it was a few weeks ago that he came – or, well, months ago now. Uh, he came close, and Frenville, I think, admitted that while he was running the bases, like, Andre popped into his mind because they've joked about hitting the scoreboard. They, he came real close, and, you know, it, it might only be a matter of time, but there is there is a reason that McGuire is the only one to really pull it off. Yeah. Uh, well, moving on, the rest of your three-up portion of three-up, three-down, two starters. Um, so let's start with Zach Plesak. He had the abbreviated start against the Royals. Mostly positive results. He allowed three runs on five hits with four strikeouts and no walks in four innings. He threw 55 pitches, and he was scheduled to throw a sim game during the All-Star break to continue his progression as they try to get him to that full workload again. Yeah, and the, the general rule of thumb, you know, if you're trying to kind of project – pitch counts or, or, uh, rehab progressions. Uh, the general rule of thumb is that teams will, you know, advance guys roughly 15 pitches each time out. So he threw about 55 pitches, which means, you know, with the sim game, with the sim game over the all-star break, you know, he could be roughly up to 85. So he go like 55, then roughly to 70 and now to 85. So he could be roughly, um, you know, really one start away from pretty much his, his, his full workload, which is a, just a, hey, such a, a key development for this team to get some stability, or well, they hope, you know, he, he will provide some stability uh, with the rotation, at, at least having one of those three guys back. But, um, you know, he's, he's nearing his, his full workload. And that's pretty much the, the biggest development or, or the second best, biggest development, uh, you know, Plesak and, and, and Friend Mill, you know, coming back, you know, those, those two returns, um, 
is where that's what the team was waiting for for weeks. You know, that's, that's what they had circled on their calendars. Um, so the fact that it's here, you know, that it's a, it's a huge boost to this team, but you know, as we've talked about the, the road, uh, in front of them is, is it, it's going to be really difficult without Bieber and Savali. So that's kind of the next, you know, wave, you know, it was, it was Fran Mill, Roberto Perez and Zach Plesak now, and then it'll be Bieber and Savali, uh, within a few weeks or several weeks. And that's kind of the next wave that they're waiting on, but they've, they've made it through half and they, o- they almost made it through that half, uh, you know, of these two waves unscathed. Had they gone into the all-star break only two or three games back of the White Sox, they'd be in a great spot. Um, eight games back is, uh, they, they certainly have their work cut out for them. Yeah. And onto that final player on an upswing. If you watch Friday's game, shouldn't be too hard to guess where we're going. Uh, Tristan McKenzie really just pitched lights out. He allowed one hit and one walk in seven scoreless innings, the, the longest outing of his major league career. Um, and he struck out nine there. Um, overall, just really, I thought from watching it, such a solid performance, especially given his last start against the Mariners in June when he couldn't get out of the first inning after walking four batters. Um, he got really familiar. He's gotten really familiar this year with that trip down I-71 between Columbus and Cleveland. But, um, you know, again, and we, I know we've heard similar things from him before, but he just kind of talked about treating this like a reset and attacking the zone with all of his pitches. And I know Tito praised him for that as well. Yeah, a few weeks ago, Cleveland really seemed to want to kind of stay away from Tristan McKenzie. And they, they called up Logan Allen, um, after having a need. There were really only two options. It was Logan Allen or Tristan McKenzie. They really wanted to stay away from McKenzie to give him a couple of extra weeks to really allow him to reset because they had already done this once or twice before this season where they wanted him, uh, to be afforded some time to really work through his delivery, work through his mechanics, and, and kind of, as you mentioned, hit that reset button. And over and over, the need arose at the major league level, and that was cut short. But the the start that he gave on Friday night, you know, that's there's a reason that his potential remains really high. Now, his floor on a, on a nightly basis, as we've seen, is is relatively low. Uh, because when, when his command, when he's lost his command a little bit, he's really ten, tended to lose it and it, it's kind of snowballed on him. But when he's on, I mean, he has major league stuff. You know, we saw it in, in his major league debut when he struck out 10. Uh, you know, Tristan McKenzie has the kind of stuff that, that will make teams dream. Um, it, it's just that he hasn't quite put it together for, for a long enough period of time. But again, you know, talking about, you know, police act, if McKenzie can give them some form of stability, you know, they will absolutely accept that. Uh, even if it's not quite, you know, the gem that he had on Friday night. Yeah, and he, uh, the last point with him that I'll make is the, the the spiraling point that I think it was the third inning in that game. He gave up a single and a walk and still had to get two more outs, and, and he did. I mean, he, he got the next two guys out, um, and he mentioned that, you know, I'm looking back at the transcript of this now, that he thought he executed the the pitch that, Got the, got the Royals a hit and the walk. He thought that it was decently close, that it was a competitive at bat. So, um, you know, he mentioned stepping on the gas there and continuing to do that, which again, if, if you've watched him pitch this year or even, you know, some last year, things can have a tendency to get away from him. So, um, obviously he needs to be able to do that at, at a consistent level now. This was still one start, but a, a really good and promising start regardless. So, um, on to the, three down portion of three up, three down. Um, I'll leave the last one a surprise because I got a good 
laugh out of it. It's not a person per se. Uh, so you can go read Ryan's three up, three down piece from earlier this week to, to see the ending. But, um, as far as, you know, we'll start with Sam Henches here because he was optioned to Columbus to make room for Tristan McKenzie. Um, and that was a move that, you know, they, they talked about in the pregame of that game on Friday. And Tito said they talked to him quite a while after that game on Thursday night that they wanted him to really have a plan in place so that whenever he comes back, up to the big leagues that he'll he'll be, you know, able to use this time to his advantage, basically. And really, they talked about honing in on his fastball, which, again, I don't think is anything new when we've talked about Sam Henches this year. Yeah, and, there, you know, he's an, another guy that they're really viewing um, with, with a long-term lens. And, you know, we've talked about it. Uh, you know, he's had swing and miss stuff at, at points this season, but getting through a lineup several times, it's difficult to do with a with, a three pitch mix, especially if one of those three isn't on, on that particular day. Um, and his fastball, he has to be able to command his fastball to set up his breaking pitches. And, you know, one thing that Sam Hentges had started to do before he was sent down is that he's implemented a, a two seamer much more than he had. And then a little bit to a lesser extent, a changeup. So now he's got a five pitch mix that he's still kind of honing, but that's something that we had talked about earlier in the year that, in terms of his long-term development, I mean, you know, we talked about that. That was probably going to have to happen, at least a fourth offering, if not a fifth. And now he's he started to mix in a two-seamer with with, with his four-seam fastball, and he's got a changeup to to complement his his curveball and slider. It, it's all about you know trying to keep hitters off of his better pitches, but you know it it all kind of does start with Sam Hentges with his fastball command. Um, that's been a little bit of a theme with with a few of Cleveland's younger pitchers is that when the fastball command has been there, everything else has kind of fallen into place and clicked, but without it, um, you know, some guys have, have gotten into trouble and that's certainly the case with Henches, but you know, in the, in the short term, uh, the results had, had been pretty rough in the long term. He has started kind of the progression that was, that was pretty evidently needed eventually. And the last guy we'll touch on here, J.C. Mejia, he's gotten essentially torched for 12 earned runs in his past six and two-thirds innings and 21 earned runs in his previous 21 and two-thirds innings. And he's currently lined up to face the Astros uh, on Monday. So good luck with that lineup, which is absolutely ridiculous and has been one of the best in baseball. And I'm sure Cleveland fans don't love seeing Michael Brantley hitting 326 with like a, I think a 372 on base. He's had a fantastic season. Jose Altuve has been really good. Carlos Correa has been, you know, phenomenal. Uh, Jordan Alvarez has been really good. I think I'm forgetting two or three guys who have, a, have like an 850 OPS. Like that, that, that Astros lineup is no joke. That's a really difficult test. And so for JC Mejia coming off of a stretch that I'm sure he'd like to forget, now he gets his Astros lineup which is quite the test. So, you know, good luck to him. Hopefully he can keep his his lunch and dinner down before that start. Yeah, we're going to have a lot to talk about with that one next week, I feel like. I mean, regardless, either he has an amazing start and it's something no one expected against a really difficult lineup, or it's it's kind of more of the same with, with some of these numbers, if not worse. Yeah, and he's... You know, he's a guy that, you know, somewhat similar to Tristan McKenzie. He's had some, some stretches where he's been really good. Oh, yeah. Um, he's had, and, and he's had some stretches where things have just kind of fallen off. But that's what goes into younger pitching and that 
a lot of these guys without these injuries, they'd be able to be honing, you know, their deliveries, their grips, their arsenals at triple A, you know, away from as much of a competitive competitive environment, uh, away from as much, you know, pressure and, you know, just kind of the importance of each major league game. Um, but, but they've kind of had, they've all been had to, you know, been thrown to the fire and this is kind of what you'd probably expect from some younger pitchers. Um, but, you know, Cleveland is trying to focus on, you know, making up ground in the AL Central while also working on their development at the major league level. And it's, it's a, it's a balance that they've, they've kind of had to try to find. Yeah, well, considering we're coming off of the All-Star break, we are both caught up on Loki, which means we've finished it. Um, I don't, like, want to say anything because I'm afraid to ruin anything other than I really, really enjoyed the finale. Yeah, same. I don't think any any details can be given. No, literally not. Like, you can't say anything, like, because whether you follow Marvel stuff a lot, whether you don't follow it at all, like anything I would want to say would be a, a certain kind of spoiler. So we'll just leave it at it was really good, I guess. Yeah. Um they did such a fun I it would be so much fun to be able to be in, in like a writer's room for this for a show like this, where you can basically take it any direction and do anything you want with it. Um and I I, I think they had a lot of fun with it. Tom Hiddleston was great. I think we've nailed his last name now. We do not bring me into this. I've always known it. You know how to say his last name now. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, but I was actually thinking of like just he's so perfectly cast as Loki, and there's so many roles where if it was somebody else, it could be really good. But it's difficult to imagine. Like it's difficult to imagine anyone as Iron Man except for Robert Downey Jr. Right. And it's crazy when you think about like his career trajectory. If you were to write a three up, three down back in 2007 about potential people to play Iron Man, RDJ would have definitely been in the three down. Like that was a career renaissance role for him. Right. I'm, I, I think he's made a little bit of money along the way. I think he's done just fine. But yeah, but, but those two guys especially are so good. Um, uh, Chadwick as the Black Panther was perfect. I mean, there are several, you know, casting things and decisions and situations that have just turned out perfectly. And I think Tom Hiddleston as Loki is, is absolutely one of them. Plus, it's always fun when Owen Wilson is in a show because he's great. Oh, he's, he's great. He's phenomenal. Um, I, I know we're, we're going to be heating up, you know, things here in the second half of the season and you're going to be very busy, but I know in your leisure time when you can get it, are any plans to watch anything, any other shows next? Uh, we started sharp objects, which I know is an older show. I know Alicia had seen it. I have not. Uh, we started that and then we're going to watch uh, the white Lotus on HBO max. Mm, very fun. I haven't watched that one, but I've seen it pop up on my HBO max. I believe it's a murder mystery type situation. So, okay. I would definitely like it. Well, until next time, we're going to continue to be, as Loki would say, burdened with glorious purpose talking about Cleveland baseball. Um, so you can find Ryan on Twitter at by Ryan Lewis. Check out all of his stuff there and over at BeaconJournal.com. I'm Ashley Bastock. Find me at Twitter at AshleyBastock42. And until next time, I'm, I'm surprised, you know what? We made it through this whole pod without me bringing up Gator Loki. So I'm going to do it at the end. Gator Loki remains my king. Ha, ha, ha.